0: It's National Auto Care's Fixed Ops 5, an APCO Holding Brand Podcast. Powered by Pasha with your host, Corey Smith. Welcome to Fixed Ops 5. I'm your host, Corey Smith, National Fixed Operations Training Manager with APCO Holdings. Today I'm being joined by Yuge from My Karma. Huge, how are you today?
1: I'm great, Corey. Thanks for inviting me to your show.
0: I'm super excited to have you a part of this podcast. We've titled it. Charging ahead, unpacking strategies, AI integration, and having a vision for 2024 and fixed ops. But before we get into this episode, Huge, could you tell our audience how you got to this point in your career and tell us a little bit about my karma?
1: Sure, sure. I have a real checkered past. I started as an investment banker and for two and a half years did M&A in the late 80s, realized that wasn't what I wanted to do, and then switched. To running a technology consulting firm that we eventually disrupted many things on the OEM side, eventually got bought by Snap-on Business Solutions, a subsidiary of Snap-on tools, and we were the first web-based parts catalog in the world. So they bought us because of that technology. And then I left them in 2008 and for four years was doing consulting and eventually had a real miserable experience at a dealership. For when I took my car in for service.
0: Oh, wow. And the
1: light bulb went off in my head and I said, you know, I gotta fix that problem. It, it, there's no reason why in 2011 or 12, we have these kinds of problems. So we did a bunch of things like introduced texting into the dealership world, single number concept, first guys to do mobile uh, payments and a bunch of other innovations that eventually got us to where we are today, Close to 2,000 dealers and endorsed by about eight or nine OEMs and still charging ahead, like you said.
0: Well, that's awesome. Thank you for telling us a little bit about your journey. And I appreciate you carving out some time to, to talk to us. So yes. let's just get right into this episode. Um, why have dealers traditionally not been able to pass uh, surcharge fees to customers?
1: Well, I don't know how much you know, and you probably know a lot because you're training in the space, but dealers are targets. And there are a bunch of lawyers trolling dealerships to find out how they can file a lawsuit against the dealers. In the past, whenever dealers looked at surcharges, they weren't quite sure how to do this in a legally risk-free manner, right? Or at least reduce the risk to such an extent that they don't become targets. Because there are three different entities that you have to be compliant with, federal law, state law, and card brand rules. And, you know, you trip up on any one of those, and, you know, even a simple lawsuit can cost you a couple of hundred grand to defend, even if you prevail. So that's one. Second is there's this innate sort of thinking that, hey, if I do surcharges, that's over and above what the repair is, And therefore, the customers won't be happy, CSI will go down. Turns out that's not actually true. What happens is, let's say before you start surcharging, and by the way, every industry is doing it. You go to your restaurant, they tack it on as a service fee or something or the other. But let's say you were getting 30% of your payments done using debit cards or checks, well, that number just jumps to 40, 50% because when when you're using debit cards, you cannot surcharge. That's one of the rules. So those customers who want to not pay the surcharge just move to debit cards. So you'll see before surcharging, let's say it's 30, 35%. After surcharging, the mix goes to 45, 50%. But there's still lots of people who want to use credit cards, like American Express points. A lot of people get one and a half points every time they spend their, the money and, you know, other cards give you all kinds of benefits. So some people want to use that and they use it. But in reality, it doesn't affect CSI at all.
0: It's funny you mention it because I was on vacation with my family. I took them to Florida and we celebrated Christmas during, um, at Disney. Mm-hmm. And I took them to Ford Garage Restaurant. And when I re- before we even got seated, they had a sign saying, um, we have a surcharge fee and they explained what their process is because they have so many different team members that help with the experience you don't just have a waiter you have uh, a waiter you have um someone that brings you your food you have somebody that brings you your drinks you have somebody that brings you napkins so forth and so on they had like a the team whole member. team yeah yeah so it's 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 funny you mentioned that so so dealerships traditionally just take that as a loss on the surcharge fee. Now with what you're proposing is why can't we talk about it? Why can't we give the customer a choice to use debit or to, to grab their American express and be okay with the surcharge fee?
1: Yes. And by the way, that's one aspect. And the other aspect is what you mentioned, right? There was a sign right there that declared that you were going to charge surcharge. That's one of the guidelines and rules that you got to comply with. We give it to you almost like surcharge in a box. We make sure you're legally compliant. And there's this old funny saying, you know, I, I, I'm a swimmer. So there's a peer-to-peer swim here every year in Manhattan Beach. It's 2.2 miles in the ocean, right? So I have the guys who ask me, my God, aren't you afraid of the sharks? I said, no, I'm not the slowest guy. And, and that's <laughs> the point you need to remember, right? With dealerships, you will never be 100% compliant. You cannot. It's just impossible because there's always the one little blade. Somebody doesn't do some little thing. But the trick is, are you the slowest swimmer? Will the troll lawyers target you or will they target your neighbors? And that's your job to get into this business with a partner where, and I'm not trying to sell myself. Just whoever you do it with, just make sure you're legally compliant and that you've reduced your risk to the extent possible. For us, we will send you out signs, all of that. We'll come out, train you. We'll t- tell you the top tracks, or we'll do that remotely, whichever one works for you. But we got this thing down, and we're already doing about a half a billion in in surcharge payments. And, wow. Right, and we just started. We Like everything we do, I don't know if I told you this, I've missed telling you this about how we started the company. For 16 months, me and my other founder, we hung around a dealership like service advisor before we released the first line of code. So we learned everything we could. The same thing happened with surcharges. In fact, there were a couple of dealers that were not very happy with us. They wanted to go into it right away. And we said, no, we paid a couple of hundred grand in legal fees. And we studied the whole process. Then when we came up with the offering, we made sure it's as airtight as possible, right? And... In this world, it cannot be hundred percent airtight, it's just not possible. The regulation change, but we will keep you as compliant as humanly possible.
0: I really like this. So I am I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because in, in 2024 there's gonna be so many different changes within this industry. So what sort of savings can a dealer see per month if they set a goal for 2024 to offset? The surcharge cost.
1: You know, simple rule of thumb. You know, average dealer for us does seven hundred thousand in credit card payments. Roughly speaking, you won't save all your credit card fees because debit cards have a fee associated with them. But right. let's say you can save close to fifteen grand a month, so one hundred eighty grand a year. Wow. So that's for an average dealer. Um, we have dealerships that trust me; they do more than seven hundred. They do two two and a half million a year. Those type of dealerships, you can do the math and you can figure it out. It's a lot of money. And by the way, this is not money that you need to do anything staggering to make it happen.
0: We so walk me through it. that. Walk me through that process.
1: Then. So let's say, see, we will typically do it for people that we're already doing payments for, but in the past, the payments were being done where we were agnostic as to which processor you use. Now what we do is we give you the merchant ID so we become the processor because that's needed. I won't get into technicalities. If somebody needs to know, they can call us and we'll explain why. But now that we go through this process, we sign you up, you sign the contract, then you opt in for one of the two methods of training. Either our people come on site, we send you out our new swipers, which are completely compliant, which show the messaging saying, hey, you're gonna get charged, a surcharge, et cetera, et cetera, the signs, and then we'll train you on the talk track and how you should do it, how you handle disputes. So we handle every little thing. You know, if there's a dispute and you refund, then that portion of the surcharge gets refunded too. And it's automatic. You don't have to do anything. So this is where I say you have to be compliant. Here's another case. Most people don't know this. When you have an insurance company paying part of the like extended warranty, mm-hmm. they approve a certain amount. They're not going to put a surcharge on top of it. So your system has to automatically figure out the surcharge amount, back it out, and give a discount to the insurance company for that payment so that you're compliant. And a lot of people do it by whipping out a calculator, punching on it, and adjusting the totals and doing this, doing that, where you're more than likely to get it wrong and be non-compliant. We just do it (laughs) automatically. It's built into our software. You don't have to think about it, and boom, it's done.
0: That's interesting. So I didn't even think about that. So when you have a, a, an extended warranty company that has approved the total and they give you a credit card to run that through, yeah, you're right. You're not going
1: to be able to tack on the 2% on top of that, right?
0: No, right. So, so, so what
1: you have to do is you have to back out to 97, 3% becomes a discount and so on and so forth just to be compliant because the rule is, in any department, you can't selectively surcharge. I can't say, okay, Corey is a friend of mine. I'm not going to surcharge him, but Uj is not a friend of mine. I'm going to surcharge him. So <laughs> the extended warranty company is another vendor. So there's a lot of detail. And I have this saying, retail is about detail.
0: Ooh, if, I like that.
1: Yeah, if you don't get the detail right, you're. the reason we're successful is we agonize over detail. Literally agonize over detail. We try and figure out, and I'm not saying we're perfect, man. Nobody's perfect. But we get so close to the real deal that most people, when they see it, they say, wow, this is how it works. It seems pretty easy. Well, when you use your iPhone, why is it pretty easy? Because the Apple guy is agonized over every little detail.
0: Yeah. And I got to tell you that you need to put that saying on a T-shirt. I don't say this very often, but that has to be on a t shirt. Huge. Well, I really I like am trying
1: to convince Matt, and Matt, if he's listening, retail is about detail, man. It <laughs> really is. And most people don't realize it, and they don't give enough credit to dealers. A dealership is handling detail every two seconds. Stuff changes, stuff happens, and you had to be, you can't just wave at 40,000 feet sitting in the conference room. No, you're out in the service drive handling somebody's car that got dented slightly and now you got to figure out what to do how do you document it how do you prove it wasn't done by you there's a lot of detail involved man
0: yeah i really like that and i, I think you're 100 percent right is that we and i have said this a, a million times the car industry the dealership doesn't have an espn that shows all of our highlights all the things that we do really well yeah, and yeah. how it's, fluent we can be
1: Yes, and all they do is they pick up the two second soundbag where there's a customer that's angry because something yeah, happened, right? And so the, the label the poor guys get is that, oh my God, how can they do that? But people forget that in, a, in an average dealership, if you basically are dealing with, let's say, 30 customers a day, seven, eight hundred customers a month, if one guy is upset, People forget the 799 that didn't, that were not upset, and that did. They did a good job. With.
0: Yeah, I think we, I think we lose sight on that. So, what are the biggest trends for 2024 that will impact the fixed operations department in your mind?
1: So, so the biggest trend in my mind, the single biggest trend is electric vehicles. And why is that important? It's important because most people. I I've seen debates left and right from all kinds of people and all kinds of pundits out there that say, oh my God, you know, the best thing we should do is do hybrids and this and that. There's a chasm. I don't know if you've heard of this book called Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. It talks about product life cycle. So it starts with early inventors, early adopters, then there's a chasm. And after the chasm, basically, you get into early majority, late majority, and then starts declining. Every product goes through that life cycle. So Mm EVs are going through the life cycle where they're in the early inventor, early adopter phase. But the difference is that to get EVs out into the market, the capital investment and the time span of planning is huge. So five years ago, the manufacturers decided that EVs were going to be in the market. They invested money all the way through. Now EVs are in the market. Yes, they may not be selling as fast or as rapidly as everybody wants them to, but eventually with scale, what happens with scale costs come down and this will eventually become a mainstream market so that trend is here to stay now why am i saying it's here to stay if it's here to stay how does it affect fixed operations you got to look at that well those cars at least the proverbial wisdom is that they don't need maintenance wrong they don't need maintenance of the kind that a gas engine car needs You don't need to change the filters in the engine. You don't need to change the oil in the engine. We still got to change the differential oil, right? The tires are special compound tires. The tires wear away faster. You got to change tires more often, right? And then these cars have all got so much in electronics just because the hybrid, the battery management requires so much electronics and has so much torque in it that you know all the sensors everything is all and the safety systems have become better because everybody's driving towards these uh, the autonomous cars so even if you get to level three there's a bunch of sensors in the car so that that'll have two effects one the places where you used to get your labor time from and the payments in the fixed operation space will change you no longer be doing oil changes right but guess what you're going to be doing sensor recalibration. Anytime there's a car that comes in for service, you have to redo it because that's a safety item. And guess what? The capital required to do those kinds of things is so much higher that traditionally three out of four customers went to the aftermarket after warranty. Now I anticipate that two out of those four will come back to the dealership because the aftermarket just can't afford that kind of equipment, right? And so what's going to happen is these again, I love this crisscrossing pattern. Yes, your maintenance goes down, but the number of customers come in goes up. And by the way, each operation is more profitable. So, hmm. if you take a Porsche into a store to get the sensors recalibrated because of safety reasons, I'm telling you, you're going to spend three, 000, four thousand dollars. Wow. And how yeah, much labor really- time do you think that takes? A couple of hours? So each one of those operations will become more profitable. Collision will become much more prominent. So these are some of the trends I'm saying that are going to happen, and dealers either can wake up and realize this is going to happen and act on it. So, you know, forge good relationships with collision shops or maybe have your own.
0: Have your own, yeah
1: invest in the EV infrastructure that you need to. Uh, yeah, easier said than none. It takes a lot of money, but still, manufacturers are helping, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually, when this tide turns, in the end, fixed operations will still be in the pole position in terms of how much profitability of the overall dealership it contributes to. And I'm convinced of that.
0: I absolutely love that. So there was an article recently on EVs and hybrids that – we're no longer going to be part of the credit from the uh, government, right? Well, yeah, and, I th- yes. and I think what you just said there really hits home with that article. That's probably why they're doing it is because they want that, they want that customer to keep you know, buying and investing in more of those EVs, and they want them to reach that, that certain criteria, that platform that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, I and mean, when you get to critical mass, what ends up happening is things become more economical. Price drops. So already, notice this. You know, it used to be the Tesla did. Tesla legitimized the market, right? Mm-hmm. They're selling close to half a million EVs. But guess what? Many. You look at the, uh, China, and China with its infrastructure, seventy percent of new cars that are being sold are EVs. And this quarter, BYD actually overtook Tesla as the world's largest EV manufacturer. And, the guy selling the most EVs. So it's going to happen in this country too. And we yep. can either put our heads in the sand and say, okay, let the, let the windstorm or the sandstorm pass by us. Then we'll take our head out. But that's never going to happen. We're in this. It's going to change. And you might as well get used to it and start attacking it aggressively.
0: I love that. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some other cool tech. Let's talk about AI and the advancements that they are making in the fixed operations realm, where can AI serve and help the most in the service drive?
1: So the first thing to understand about AI is that AI today is primarily based on large language models. They're called LLMs. And basically LLMs at its very primitive form are models that help you predict the next word. That's all they do. And when we tell it to write a whole script about a love affair or something like that for a movie, it's just writing one word at a time. But the math and the complexity behind it is what makes it so powerful. The first area that, and they are still in the early inventor, early adopter phase, they haven't crossed the chasm. So they're not mainstream yet. They're very niched uses. They're people who want to be out on the edge. So what what can they do really well? Well, since they're language models, they primarily understand language really well in any language. So conversationally, they're very useful. Like if you look at us, we're the platform that runs fixed operations. So on the backbone, we maintain the schedules and the appointments and whatnot. We have a partner, Stella.ai, what does it do? Well, after hours or during hours, it triages. Somebody calls in, says, hello, this is whatever the name of the assistant is. Corey, what would you like to do? Would you like to schedule an appointment? And I may be I may be not being precise, but generally this is what it does. And they'll ask you a few questions as a hu- like a human being. And you say, no, I'd like to come in Thursday. I'd like to come in in the afternoon, blah, blah, blah. When it's all done, they call our API and stick an appointment in our calendar for the dealership. So they've triaged away a bunch of traffic. So I think of all AI as co-pilot. So, you know, just like the main pilots doing the job, a co-pilot is like, hey, what's the wind shear like? And the co-pilot will read out the reading. So you don't have to switch and look at that gauge and may even tell you an adjustment. So that's the primary role that I think AI is going to play for the foreseeable future. The moment AI gets to be a little more sentient and can make decisions, and there's a lot of research going on on that, today, these AI models cannot make decisions. They can just predict probabilistically what the next word is going to be and there's lots of uses of that so this is one use there are many other ai uses but eventually what i see happening with platforms like ours that serve as the backbone that you'll find these ai specialty like companies and they will serve one or two or three purposes that they do a very good job at because their ai is focused on those pieces like Let's assume sentiment analysis is important to you and you, you're talking to a bunch of customers on the phone, you're texting them, you're emailing them, all of that's going through our channel, right? Imagine an overlay where they pick two conversations, bump it up and move it to the service director's inbox saying, you got to look at this right now. This guy's not happy. Well, that's AI, right? It's doing its conversational piece but it's using our APIs and moving it into the right box. And we're doing some of that ourselves. So we will announce some things in the AI world for one area that we're looking at that we think is very useful. Everybody wants a different dashboard.
0: Yep. And once they get the
1: dashboard, then they want to slice and dice that dashboard differently. Now, as a dev shop, we have limited bandwidth. Yes, we've got 68 engineers, but there's only so many things we can do at any given time. So one of the things we're experimenting with is releasing an AI dashboard where you can speak in English and ask questions and it'll give you back the results with the right, you know, right format. So it might make it a pie chart and you may say, no, I don't like that. Can you give me the same data as a stacked bar chart? And boom, it'll change it for as a bar chart. And normally, yeah. normally that would be, and those are just English statements. Yeah. Show me the top technicians who are sending out the most videos and getting the most thumbs up. Boom, it shows you a pie chart with somebody with 25%, somebody with 16%. He said, no, I don't like that. Can you make that a column chart, please? Boom, it'll change it. So we're experimenting with that. If that comes out, then we think that we can serve enterprise dashboard needs so much quicker and so much easier than the old model where you wait six weeks every time you ask for a change. I,
0: I love that. So I, I'm a huge fan of technology. And I, to your point, I use personally AI as a co-pilot for many things that I do to clean up uh, whether I'm writing an email or a report or coming up with training modules. Uh, It's, it's, it's a great tool. And I, I I think you're absolutely right for it to be in fixed ops. I think it's going to elevate the department uh, and really help the customer experience. So my last question that I want to ask you is what's ahead for my karma in 2024 and beyond what are you guys working on that can really help uh, a fixed ops department, you know, for this sure. year?
1: Sure. sure. So one, I already told you, right? The first thing that we're, we're working on is this legally compliant surcharge offering, right? That we're doubling down on. We feel like every dealer, you know, I don't know if you know, margins are down from COVID. Mm-hmm. And these dealers need to find ways to supplement that income that they were so used to in the COVID days, right? So that's the whole surcharge payment space. The second offering is a very unique offering that we, we actually have a patent on this. And it's called the BDC Inbox. And why do we call it the BDC Inbox? Because traditionally, a dealership has a problem. And the problem is communication fragmentation, which means... Somebody calls the main desk phone and talks to you. Then they send you an email separately and they ask you questions. And maybe they text you also and they might text you on a third channel. And God forbid in the future, you you start supporting WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and other channels and now it's really a hodgepodge of communication. And what upsets a a customer the most is, I already told you that. Why are you asking me that again, right? So what we did is we solved that problem from a service advisor standpoint so on a one-on-one basis when you come in for service you can call text or email always show up in one conversation very easy to understand if you're on vacation you can delegate it to somebody that somebody will take it up and when you touch that number again six months later it still goes to somebody who handles it who has full context of what you did last time you came in right Now, what happens with most dealerships is after you get service done and you call and it's a couple of weeks later, they don't want that call going into the advisor. They want it going into the call center or the BDC. So what we've done is we've come up with this offering, which is patented now. So we're the only ones in the world that can do it right now. We call it the BDC inbox, where we can move the whole conversation over to a call center or a BDC. And just like, you know, six agents were handling phone calls and the phone would ring on all six agents' desktop, and first guy that picks up all five goes silent. We do the same with text and with email. So now you can take all three channels and deal with it with six, seven agents, and it's a game-changer. So one of the stores here in L.A., they had an external BDC. They had their own BDC, and their external BDC was for overflow. We implemented the solution there, And the first thing that, and they had an AI agent triaging email, we implemented this in their store calls went down 50%. They got rid of the external BDC and now they're also the BDC for the Porsche store, which is a sister store.
0: So they went from
1: negative 7,000 to plus 5,000. So a swing of $12,000 a month just by using this too.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, uh, we're, we're right up against the time, but before we sign off and everything i want to get your three takeaways from this episode in your mind that a service advisor an agent uh someone at the dealership uh can take away from this episode
1: so the three takeaways are very very simple for me it is focus on your payments make sure you you get all your credit card fees back and implement that this year this is the year to do that too. Streamline your communications, because if you streamline your communication, there are so many opportunities that come up. You know, we do campaigns through our follow-up premium product where we get, like, response rates of 30%. You do email campaigns, which is just one channel, and it's less than 1%. So the other thing is streamline your communication with your customer. The customer gets really upset. When they get bombarded with this offering in email that's non-contextual, you sold the car and now you get an offer to come in for an oil change and blah, blah, blah. So focus on getting one view of your customer as much as you can and start with service because that tends to be much more elaborate than sales. In sales, you sell once and then they come back every six years or five years to get another car. In service, you got at least two visits a year, if not more. So that'd be my key takeaways for this year. And, you know, don't be afraid of EVs.
0: (laughs) Right. I love that. So I I appreciate that. How can people get in touch with you?
1: Well, the easiest way to get in touch with us is go to mykarma.com. That is M-Y-K-A-A-R-M-A, mykarma.com. And then if you need to talk to us, there's a requested demo button. Just click on it. And even if you don't need a demo, you just want to talk to us, click on that and some person, the right person for our company will get in touch with you. You know, call our main number, which is 562-349-1367. I
0: love that. If you want to deliver a legendary customer experience that keeps the customer coming back to you and encouraging them to invite their family and their friends into your establishment, then you've caught the gold standard customer service vision. Do you want a more cohesive team that delivers a higher level of customer service that will result in more revenue for your dealership? We provide the tools, knowledge, and training needed to unlock that potential of your dealership. For more information on this topic and others, or to submit a question, or to be a guest on the show, feel free to send me an email at csmith at apcoholdings.com. You, this has been awesome. I really, truly appreciate the time you've taken to explain all this to us, and I just have one last question like I ask every guest. Will you please come back?
1: Absolutely. And thank you so much
0: for inviting me. Thank you for listening to National Auto Care's Fixed Ops 5 with Corey Smith. Powered by passion. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. New episodes released on the 5th and 20th of every month.